Okay, for a few short weeks in 1730, the most talked about poet in England was a man who had only taken up writing verse the year before. A man with no formal education beyond that which he had gleaned from his local village school. A man with little time and few resources to devote to the study of literature. A man who, for his day-to-day -day existence, earned his living as a farm labourer uh, in Wiltshire. Yet despite these disadvantages, in the autumn of 1730, this man, his name was Stephen Duck, he became the talk of the town, as one contemporary put it. As his poems were read to the Queen, he was considered for the position of Poet Laureate, and he was subject to scathing satirical epigrams written by Jonathan Swift. Stephen Duck became the most famous instance of a growing 18th century phenomenon, the labouring class poet. Over the course of the century, there were hundreds of writers from lowly circumstances, agricultural labourers, bricklayers, shoemakers, weavers, household servants, milkwomen, soldiers and sailors. Some lived, wrote and died in complete obscurity. But others were more lucky, finding patrons who supported them, publishers, publishers who printed their work, and an audience who enjoyed reading what they wrote. And of these, Stephen Duck was perhaps the most lucky. In this short talk, I'm going to focus on Duck, exploring the work of the agricultural labour who became, albeit very briefly, the most talked about poet in the country, and reflecting on the impact that he, that he made on English literary culture. Stephen Duck grew up in rural Wiltshire, and when he was in his 20s, uh, with the help of a friend, he discovered serious literature. His favourite poem was Milton's Paradise Lost, and it was said that he could repeat the whole of it from by heart. He began to write his own short pieces of verse, and one of these one day came into the hands of a local clergyman. Um, this local clergyman, a man called Hobie Stanley, encouraged Duck and asked him to write a poem about his experiences as a labourer. And Duck did this, um, writing a poem called The Thresher's Labour, which it gives an account of uh, a year in the life of an agricultural labourer. The poem begins just after the harvest. The farmer gathers together his labourers and he sends them to the barns to thresh the corn, that is, to beat it with a flail um, to separate the grain from the straw. It's a job that is noisy, it's repetitive, it's tiring. And in his poem, Duck takes us into the threshing barn, where, divested of our clothes with flail in hand, at a just distance, front to front we stand and first the thresholds gently swung to prove whether with just exactness it will move. That, once secure, more quick we whirl them round. From the strong planks our crabtree staves rebound, and echoing barns return the rattling sound. Now in the air our knotty weapons fly, and now with equal force descend from high. Down one, one up, so well they keep the time, the cyclops' hammers could not truer chime. Nor with more heavy strokes could Etna groan when Vulcan forged the arms for Thetis' son. In briny streams our sweat descends apace, drops from our locks or trickles down our face. No intermission in our works we know, the noisy threshold must forever go. It's a vivid scene, the men lined up, half naked, 
facing each other, first testing their knotty weapons by swinging them gently and then finding their rhythm and becoming part of a relentless noisy mu uh, machine. It's sweaty work and there's no relief, and more, the labours of the men here exceed even those of myth and legend. Their labour is more exact than that of the cyclops in their forge, the noise greater than that in Vulcan's forge under Mount Etna. It's, it's a grim and filthy life, as Duck paints it. The noise in the barns is such that the labourers can't distract themselves with chat or song. They get scolded by their masters for not working hard enough. And when they're released from work and come home to their families, they can't enjoy their home life because they're too exhausted. In Duck's poem, threshing only lasts for part of the year. And as summer arrives, so come new challenges, which take the labourers from their dark barns out into the open air. Duck describes haymaking as a pleasant task, or at least it starts out being pleasant, being out there in the open, in the sunshine. But soon the enjoyment that the labourers find in this change of labour gives way to exhaustion. Once haymaking's done, then it's back to the barns again, uh, and more threshing, but this doesn't last long, for soon it's time for the harvest. And once the harvest is complete, well then it's time to go back to the threshing barns once more, and the cycle starts again. But Doug's poem is not, relentlessly, uh, not, not a relentlessly grim depiction of rural life by any means. He takes t uh, time to note the pleasant aspects, the joys to be found in observing nature, in working hard and competing amiably with your fellow man. But though he points out these pleasing aspects, the hard work, the sweat, the filth, the discomfort are all inescapable. This is what makes the thresher's labour such an important poem. Sweat and hard work had never previously featured so prominently in a poem about rural, rural life and labour. Duck attempts to give a more realistic account of what it was like to be a labourer than any poet before him had done. But it's not simply a realistic documentary account produced without literary skill. Again and again, Duck shows his engagement with poetic techniques. To, to return to this passage um, about the threshing barn, for instance, as, as Duck's re uh, describing the sound in the barn, there's a poem full of couplets, but he uses a triplet. Um, more quick we will than round, from the strong planks our crabtree crab staves rebound, and echoing barns return the rattling sound. Round, rebound, sound. Duck's rhymes create the very echo that he's trying to describe. And the passage is full of language that he's found in his reading. The, the description of the men standing front to front is something that he's picked up from a battle scene in Milton's Paradise Lost. Um, and by dropping in those allusions to Cyclops and Vulcan, he's showing that he might be a farm labourer, but he knows his classical myths as well as anyone. This poem was among those which brought Duck so much fame in 1730, which made him the talk of the town. It was read to Queen Caroline, and she was so impressed that a labourer could write such a thing, um, that she was moved to offer him a position at court. This was an important moment for Duck as a poet and a man. The Queen's generosity opened up a whole new world of opportunity for him, uh, allowing him to broaden his educational horizons, and eventually he trained as a clergyman. As a poet, it marks a shift in what he would write about. Um, he stopped writing about what it was like to be a labourer and instead wrote poems that reflected his new position. He learned Latin and so produced a, a number of verse translations of Latin works and he began writing poems for the Queen and her family on births, deaths, marriages, kind of victories in battle and the like. 
Um, the shift in subject matter is something that sometimes makes modern readers uneasy. Um, they think they might he is sold out by you know, not writing about what he knew. But that's a little unfair. He's simply responding to the new situation he found himself in. So what impact did such a poet, one who reached such a high-profile position, make on English literary culture? Well, The Thresher's Labour became an important reference point for future poets who would write about rural life and the agricultural landscape. And it was important for other labouring class poets. Um, following on from Duck's model, uh, a man called Robert Tattersall wrote about what it was like to be a bricklayer. A man called John Frizzell, Frizzell wrote about what it was like to be a miller. Um, and a woman called Mary Collier um, got rather cross at the slights that she saw Duck committing on women in his poem and wrote a poem about what it was like to be a woman working uh, in a lower class uh, situation. Duck's poem was uh, significant as a model for other writers, but his influence as a cultural icon, well, icon was perhaps even more significant. Um, seldom did any subsequent labouring class writer make it into print without making some kind of reference to Duck. Either the poets themselves did this, uh, or their patrons did, or their reviewers, or their readers. Um, some commentators viewed Duck fearfully, thinking that other people would try and emulate what he had done, try and win a royal patron, uh, seeing it as kind of a, an 18th century version of winning the lottery or winning X Factor. Um, but most labouring class poets were more realistic um, and regarded what, what happened to Duck as kind of a freak occurrence. So Duck, as I said, is just the most famous of these labouring class poets. There were household uh, servants such as Mary Leeper and Robert Dodgley. There were bricklayers like Robert, Robert Tattersall and Henry Jones, shoemakers like James Woodhouse, washerwomen like Mary Collier, and milkwomen like Anne Yearsley. These were, like Duck, engaged and engaging writers who strove to prove their worth as poets. And their work is certainly worth exploring because it reveals how 18th century literary culture was accessible to men and women from a broad range of society. Thank you.